Heavenly Father, according to your promise to your servants, may your unfailing love be our comfort this morning. As we look into your word, as your word is proclaimed and preached, Lord, we pray that it would be a comfort to us. We know that here we have the promises of God. And so, Lord, we pray that we'd be encouraged and built up in the faith as a result of examining them closely together this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we pick up again our series in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3 we're up to this morning, which is found on page 264, if you have a church Bible, 264, 1 Samuel chapter 3, and the book of Samuel comes at an interesting time within Israelite history. Uh, Of course, I should give a bit of an overview as to how it fits into Israelite history. The book, uh, the Bible opens with the book of Genesis, which is about the creation of the world, the beginning of time itself. The world is created by the Lord in six days. He creates Adam and Eve, their first parents, and then Adam and Eve sin against him and are expelled from the Garden of Eden. Eventually, from Adam and Eve, we get Abraham. From Abraham, you get the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel end up in Egypt. They're enslaved in Egypt. Then God brings them out under Moses. They come into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. They live in the promised land, and we have the period of Judges, which is immediately uh, before 1 Samuel. Well, Ruth is a book that's before 1 Samuel, but Ruth is in the time of the Judges. And during the time of the Judges, There's a few different leaders that God raises up, but mostly Israel looks pretty bleak. If you read the book of Judges, it's one of the dark periods within Israelite history. And so Samuel comes at the end of this period of Judges, and really Samuel is the last of the Judges, because through Samuel there will be a king. Through Samuel as the last judge and uh, and the prophet of God, not the last prophet, but a prophet of God, he is given the task of anointing the first king of Israel, the second king of Israel, and then the second king of Israel, of course, is King David. And from David, we eventually get the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a clear uh, uh, line of trajectory from the scriptures to the Lord Jesus uh, using 1 Samuel, using the book of Samuel. There are key events that happen in 1 Samuel that establish the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pick up this story here where Samuel is still a boy. Uh, We saw in Samuel chapter 1 that uh, Hannah, his mother, prayed for him. She was blessed with him. Uh, Last week we looked at Eli's sons. Eli is the priest that is there in Israel at the time. Uh, Samuel has been put under his care, but Eli has his own sons. And we saw last week that they were evil, that they were not living according to the word of God. They were despising God's sacrifices. And God sent a man of God to warn Eli and his house that what they were doing was wrong and that they would be judged for it. And so in chapter 3, we pick up the story again here, the narrative again, of little Samuel. And we see at this time, while Eli's sons are doing what they're doing, in verse 1, we find out that the word of the Lord was rare. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 Samuel. It says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. That's the priest. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli's, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. So the scene is set. The word of the Lord is rare. And we see the priest himself, his eyes are going. 
And I think there's a little parallel there uh, to his physical sight with his spiritual sight. Obviously, he's seeing what his sons are doing and uh, not uh, rebuking them as he should. And so we see that the visions of the Lord are not coming through like they once were. And so then we find out that Samuel is the new prophet that is going to be raised up by the Lord where the word of the Lord comes to him. And it's quite an interesting story as to how he hears the word of the Lord for the first time. And so we'll read from verse 3. Verse 3. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Here we see this very interesting story of Samuel becoming a prophet of God, that the Lord is actually revealing himself and speaking to Samuel here. And it's as Eli understands this, that, uh, that the Lord is speaking to Samuel, that he encourages Samuel to be a prophet of God, to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so then we hear the word of judgment on Eli's house as given by the man of God earlier. They'd been warned in, in chapter 2 by the man of God that came that what they were doing is wrong, Eli's sons Hophni and Phinehas, that they were doing the wrong thing. And here we see the Lord saying very similar things to Samuel. Verse 11, verse 11 of 1 Samuel 3. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. So this prophecy comes from the Lord to Samuel. And so Samuel, then we read in verse 15, went and lay down again. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. But he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. And then we read, what was it he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. So Samuel is a true prophet of the Lord here. He's been given a message to convey. He's afraid to tell the message, but when he is challenged by Eli to not hide anything from, uh, from Eli, 
He then delivers the message to him and doesn't hide anything. And as a result, we see that Samuel is established quite clearly as a prophet of the Lord. Verse 19. Verse 19, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. And so this is an interesting passage for us to look at this morning, not just because it's such an exciting narrative. I really like the book of Samuel and uh, 2 Samuel. Uh, it's, uh, the narrative is told in such a way that's quite gripping and you just want to keep on reading and learning more about Samuel and what he gets up to in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, but here this morning, I want to focus particularly on the way that Samuel told Eli everything, hiding nothing from him. And I think this is a helpful uh, passage for us to consider this morning because today we as Christians are the prophets of God. We are the people who are meant to share God's word. We're being called upon by God to be ones who convey, to who speak the very words of God. We are being granted the word of God in this book that is before us. This is the word of God. It has been given to us and we have a responsibility as Christians to share this word of God with others. And we can learn from Samuel, I think, here this morning, that we should not hide any part of it. He was told by Eli, do not hide it from me. And then what did Samuel do in verse 18? So Samuel told him everything. And so like Samuel, we should not hide God's word, no matter how unpalatable some of it may actually be. And this is something that the prophets of God have done again and again throughout history. As you read the scriptures, as you read the Old Testament, you see the prophets are called to be faithful prophets if they convey the word of God and do not hide the message of God that has been granted to them. And we even see that carrying over into the New Testament with the apostles, that they convey the message that has been given to them. They do not hide the word of God. And we saw that even in that passage before uh, from Acts chapter 20 where Paul is interacting with the Ephesian elders where he's saying goodbye to his close friends at the church in Ephesus. And what does he say to them in Acts chapter 20 verse 27? He says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. The whole will of God. I haven't hidden anything from you. I've proclaimed it all to you. I haven't hidden the parts that are unpalatable. I haven't just concentrated on the parts that are nice. And I haven't just concentrated on the parts that are unpalatable and hidden the parts that are nice, the encouraging parts. No, I've conveyed to you the whole will of God. And so Samuel is a wonderful example for us, even to children, that you can declare the whole will of God. He's a young boy here. And so children in this church, you can be people who proclaim the whole will of God to those around you, including your parents. Eli was a parent to Samuel. It was quite a difficult thing for him to tell his parent what his guardian who's looking after him, tell him, uh, tell Eli what the will of God was for Eli and his family. But he told it nonetheless. And so we can learn from Samuel that we should not hide God's word no matter how unpalatable to others. And so the question then is, what is it that we should be telling as the whole will of God. If we're not to hide anything from people, do we start at Genesis chapter 1 and read to them the entire book right through to Revelation? Is that what we're supposed to do? What does it mean not to hide the whole will of God, not to hide anything from God's word? 
Well, we should really consider firstly the things that we might be tempted to hide from others around us. What are the things that we might be tempted to hide? That comes from God's word. Well, one of the things that we're tempted to hide, which Samuel would have struggled with, is God's condemnation of sin. What was the message that was given to Samuel to convey? What was the word of the Lord to Samuel? Well, it was about the sin of Eli and his house. Verse 13, we read, this is the, the word of the Lord that came to Samuel. For I told him, that's uh, told Eli, that I would judge Eli's family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. There is sin in Eli's house, and we looked at it very closely last week, the, the way that they were showing contempt for the Lord's sacrifices the way that they were uh, engaged in sexual immorality, and the way that Eli hasn't restrained them as he should. And this is unpalatable for Eli to hear. Just like when we tell people about sin today, it is not something they want to hear. But if we're meant to convey the whole will of God, if we're meant to not hide any part of God's word, then we're meant to talk about sin with others. Because the Bible talks about sin. We're meant to talk about all the sins, the different types of sin that God condemns. We're meant to talk about the the big sins that God hates. Things like murder and rape and adultery and theft. Yes, society may condemn them in different degrees, but we as Christians, we have the scriptures and what it says about murder and rape and adultery and theft. And so we are meant to tell these things to others that God condemns them. We're also meant to tell people God's opinion on culturally controversial sins, particularly in our culture, that few may speak against. But we know what the Bible has to say. What am I speaking about? Well, in our culture, homosexual relationships... Denial of God-given gender is something that is becoming more and more common in our, in our society. Abortion, prostitution, pornography, including the soft pornography that is often on television screens and people don't seem to care about. It's in mainstream advertising. It's in mainstream movies. We as Christians have something to say about it because the Bible has something to say about it. And if we are to proclaim the whole will of God and not hide anything, then we should be telling people what the scriptures say about such sins, regardless of how controversial it may be in our society to condemn such sins. We also need to be condemning the lesser sins, the things that people don't think are so bad as well, the, things that, uh, the sins that people don't fuss about. What am I talking about? Well, the sin of pride. It often is disguised under the idea of good self-esteem in our society. People aren't so interested in being humble anymore. Uh, They're interested in having good self-esteem. But we have something to say about that from the Scriptures because God has something to say about that. Sins like anger and hatred, insults, belittling others, grumbling, impatience, and prejudices like racism. The Bible has something to say about such sins, so we as Christians have something to say about such things as well. Lying, gossiping, exaggerating the, the, the truth, mocking, coarse language, disrespectful joking about others, including about your spouse or children. Some of the things that parents will say to, about their children can be horrible, but we as Christians have something to say about that because the Bible has something to say about how parents are to treat their children covetousness, greed, which in our culture seems to be an exalted thing, that if you can amass as much wealth to your name as possible, it is a good thing. That's what you want your children to accomplish, isn't it? 
but the Bible has something to say about greed and envy and jealousy and selfishness, these sins that people don't worry so much about. We as Christians, if we're to proclaim the whole counsel of God, have something to say about such things, even if others do not. And of course, we as proclaimers of God's truth have something to say about the really big sins. What are they? Well, I've already mentioned murder and rape and adultery and theft. What are you talking about, Joel? Talking about false religion. That's the really big sin where people deny the gospel and take something else in its place and worship something else. So I'm talking about the Christian cults that deny the Lord Jesus Christ's humanity or his divinity. Talking about prosperity churches that say that it's all about making money and greed in itself as well. It's disguised under the idea of prosperity. But I'm also talking about mainstream religions of Roman Catholicism, which teaches that Jesus Christ is sacrificed at their altars Sunday by Sunday, and if they have masses through the week, that they're dragging God and Jesus Christ out of heaven and sacrificing there on that altar. And you can have your sins forgiven if you eat this, this bread and drink this wine. But that doesn't forgive sins. It's the Lord Jesus dying many years ago. But that's what the false institution of Roman Catholicism teaches. We can talk about Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. Basically, the Bible has something to say about any religion that says that you can earn your salvation. Works righteousness is common across the board for all religions. I was having a conversation with someone last week at a lunch, and they were saying, oh, what's the difference between Christianity um, or Baptist? They were considering me as a whole religion in myself as a Baptist. But what's the difference between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism? What's the difference between Protestantism and Islam? What's the difference between Protestantism and Hinduism? And basically I said, well, look, really, at the end of the day, you can put all religions into You're not that bad and you can solve your sin problem yourself. All religions fall in that. And then Christianity, true biblical Christianity, says you are actually very bad and you need someone to help you. All other religions say you can help yourself. Christianity says, no, you need someone outside of you to come and help you, to come and save you. And so the Bible tells us this. And we as prophets of God are not to hide. We're not to hide what the Bible says about all religions that teach works righteousness. So we're meant to speak about sin. The big sins, the lesser sins, the ones that people aren't so concerned about, the controversial sins in our society, we're not meant to keep our lips closed about those either. But what else are we supposed to speak about if we're to speak the whole counsel of God? Well, what was Samuel told to say. Yes, he was to talk about the sin of Eli, but he wasn't to stop there. He was to tell Eli about the judgment of God against sin. He wasn't to just say, oh, you're bad people. He was to tell them that the judgment of God was coming upon them. Look in verse 13. For I told him, that's God speaking to Eli, that I would judge his family forever Because of the sin he knew about, his sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. And so we as Christians, as the mouthpieces of God, who have the very words of God, the oracles of God, we are to tell people not just that they're sinners, but they'll be judged for their sin, that they will experience the judgment of God. We need to tell people that there are consequences to their sin even now. 
We see the pain and suffering in this world, and that is a consequence to the sin of people today. We also understand that the way that people are given over to increasing sin is part of the judgment of God. This is what God has revealed in his word, that he hands them over to increasing sin. Why are people depraved and getting increasingly depraved that we can see in our lives? Yes, some people are being uh, becoming Christians and, of course, being more moral, but we can see the immorality of people progresses. Why is that? It's because of the consequences of their sin. That's the judgment of God. Against their sin, he gives them over to even further sin, And then, of course, the Bible tells us about the final judgment and the eternal punishment that is called hell for those who do not repent of their sins. If we are to preach the whole counsel of God, then we cannot hide hell and we cannot air-condition hell. We need to talk about the eternal nature of hell. We cannot say, oh, it will one day cease to be, that you will one day be annihilated and cease to be. No, the Bible is very clear. The whole counsel of God is that there is a hell and that it is of an eternal nature, that there is an eternal punishment for those who do not repent. And so as prophets of God, we need to share with others and not hide what the Bible says about sin and what the Bible says about the judgment of sin. You may be saying, why would I hide such things? Well, it's out of fear. We see that, that Samuel is afraid. This little boy, he was afraid. It says in verse 15, he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Why is that? Because as I said before, there's some things in the Bible that are unpalatable to people, and that includes sin and judgment. They do not like to hear such things, and they can get quite angry about it. The word of God can make people's ears tingle. It says there in verse 11, when God, and God knows this himself, he said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. And what happens when it tingles? Well, it often turns to anger, and they get very angry. And who do they go after? The messenger of God. They don't necessarily go after God himself. They go after the messenger of God. And church history shows how people can do horrible things to God's people because they told them that they were sinners and that there was a judgment to come. And you don't have to go far back in church history. You can go back to the Reformation period and go to the period after the Reformation. I've just been reading about the Puritans in church history and some of the horrible things that the government did to Puritans, to godly men and women, you think would only be done in horror movies, that no one would actually do that. They might think up such horrible things but they actually did them to godly men and women who just proclaimed sin and judgment, who proclaimed the things that are there in Samuel. And so sadly, people get very angry when they hear the message. And so that causes fear to rise in our hearts, particularly if we're telling people that are close to us. Samuel was telling someone that was very close to him, someone very dear to him, a guardian there at the temple, But here he was chosen by God to convey this message about sin and judgment. And so we have to be very careful as we have this fear rise in our hearts, as we have this message, this whole counsel of God that has been given to us. We need to be telling people. Why do we tell people despite the fear? Well, it's because if we do not tell, then God will judge us for keeping our mouths closed. Eli says to Samuel in verse 17, What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. 
Eli's onto a winner there. Not everything that Eli does is, is good and a good example for us to follow. But he knows that a prophet is supposed to proclaim the whole message. And that's what we have as well. And he says, may God judge you if you keep anything back. And so, realistically, as Christians, we have a decision to hide the message or to proclaim the message. And that decision is more realistically, I should say, a decision whether to fear man or fear God. Do we fear man or do we fear God? And it is shown by whether we keep back part of the message or even the whole message, whether we fear man or fear God. So that's one reason why we should not hold the message back is because of the fear of God. Yes, we may have fear in our hearts, but the fear of God should be greater than our fear of man. But ultimately, I think we don't hide the message because the message doesn't stop at sin and judgment. The message doesn't stop at sin and judgment. God's word to mankind includes hope, includes hope. And we can see this even in the book of Samuel. Yes, we can't see it in the message there that is given from, to Samuel to convey to the house of Eli. But we see in the book of Samuel that there is a sacrificial system in place by which sin can be atoned for. Yes, the sins of uh, Eli's sons are so terrible and they treat the sacrifices with such contempt that such sacrifices could not atone for their sins because, well, they don't really believe in such sacrifices. But there is a sacrificial system in place and there is great blessing that comes on the man of God who is conveying the truth that there is a message of hope, that not everybody is condemned. The house of Eli is condemned, but not everybody is condemned. There is a sacrificial system in place by which you can have hope that God forgives you of your sins. And even Samuel himself is blessed. And we saw that in verse 19. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And then all the, the, the nation, it says, all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. There's this message of hope there, that a faithful prophet does exist, and that God still reveals himself to his people through such a faithful prophet. And of course, the message of hope that I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon starts to come through as we see the Davidic kingdom being established that will lead to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's this hope that is always given there in Scripture. Even when Adam and Eve sinned and God is laying down curses upon the snake, upon the woman, upon the, upon the man, there is this message of hope that one day the seed of the woman will come and he will crush the head of the serpent. There is always hope in the message of God. It is not simply sin and judgment that we convey. We convey a message of hope. And so if we're not to hide anything in God's word, then that means we cannot hide the hope that is given in God's word. Yes, we must speak about the justice of God against sin and his holiness and his righteousness. But we must also speak about God's love and his compassion, his mercy, his grace, his kindness that is also in the scriptures. If we're to teach the whole message of God and not hide anything, then we must speak about the love of God as well. We must talk about Jesus as judge, but also as saviour. We must speak about the grace of the Father in sending his one and only Son. We must speak about the death of Jesus, which takes away sin and judgment by his love. We must speak about the love of the Holy Spirit washing us of our sins. 
We must speak about the new heavens and the new earth, the paradise that is to come, the rewards that will be given in heaven, the inheritance that we will receive through the Lord Jesus Christ. We should speak about the joy and the singing and the endless delights that we will experience in glory, as well as the sin and judgment that is talked about in the scriptures. See, there's a temptation to preach damnation and hide salvation for Christians, particularly young preachers. Now, you may not consider me necessarily young anymore. I think I'm getting a bit older, but I've struggled with this as well. There's something about us that likes to preach damnation and not so much salvation. Now, you may not struggle with that temptation, but it is a temptation that's out there. And I think there's an illustration of it currently happening in our culture here in Australia. There's this controversy at the moment with this Australian footballer. Now, I'm not interested in any kind of sport. I don't usually follow anything to do with sport, but I've actually been checking uh, sports coverage, so to speak, uh, over the last few weeks because of what's going on with this Australian footballer. This footballer posted online a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 to 10. Turn with me there now so we can actually look at what he posted. Uh, it was a paraphrase, but we'll look at the, the translation that we have before us. So page 1131, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, page 1131. This is what this footballer posted on the internet in an Instagram post. If you don't know what Instagram is, it's a way of publishing photos to the internet. Verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And so this footballer posted this to the internet and he is in hot water. It looks like he may lose his job as a footballer and what will become of him. And it says something about our culture and posting Bible verses online and what can happen to you as a result. But it's interesting. The whole controversy that's happening about this at the moment and people are talking about free speech and, and was he allowed to say this and was this something that you could say and people that are offended about what he has put there and they're offended at what God's word says. It's very interesting in the whole conversation that's going on and I, well, I can't say the whole conversation because I'm not following the whole conversation. Uh, I'm just dipping in every so often. No one's talking about verse 11. No one's talking about verse 11. What's verse 11? And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There's hope in the very next verse. Sadly, this footballer didn't post that to online. He just posted the damnation. He didn't post the message of hope, which I think is a big missed opportunity that he hasn't put out there, that you can be washed, that the Spirit sanctifies, that you can be justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ if you repent. Now, I may miss something, but I can't see anything on the news feeds that I'm receiving and the people who are contacting me. I can't see verse 11 in there. But this is what we have in the Scriptures. If we're not to hide any part of the message, which looks like has happened in this instance, then we're not to hide the message of salvation along with the message of damnation for those who do not repent. Now, you may think it's too hard to get the whole message out there in any 
any, any one message? How can I get the whole message out there of the Bible? You said at the beginning, do I start reading in Genesis 1 to someone and finish in Revelation chapter 22? Well, they haven't got the time. It takes about 70-odd hours to read the whole Bible. I'm sure no one's going to sit there and listen to you read the whole counsel of God. And so you say, how am I meant to tell people the whole counsel of God in a, in a quick conversation? Well, there is, a, uh, there is different ways that people present the gospel. There's different verses that you can use that do talk about condemnation and also talk about salvation. And here we see just three verses put together. There's hope along with the condemnation. But there's a good little way of remembering it. God, man, Christ, response. Basically sums up the whole Bible. God, man, Christ, response. Start with God. God's always existed. God created the world. Then what did he do? He created man. God, man. What happened with man? He fell. He sinned against God. He is a rebel against God because of his actions many years ago. And because of your actions today, you are a rebel against God. God, man, Christ, and then response. God, man, Christ. We sinned against the holy God. But, but, there is hope. He sent his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he died the death that we deserve if we respond by trusting and repenting of our sins, by repentance and faith. God, man, Christ responds. God created us. Man, he created man. Man fell. He sent Christ. Because of Christ, we can respond with repentance and faith and have eternal life. We can get that into a conversation fairly easily, I think. There is condemnation, but there's also salvation. And I think we can put them together. So we don't have a message of hate. We actually have a message of love from God. This is a love letter, not a message of hatred. Yes, he does hate sin, but it's a letter of love towards his people. We don't only have bad news, we have good news. That's what the gospel means, good news. And the good news far outweighs the bad news. And so we don't talk about us being people who go around sharing the bad news. No, we talk about people who go around sharing the good news, the gospel, in line with what the apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ did himself. And so we do not preach only turn or burn. We also preach turn and rejoice. Turn and rejoice. We can rejoice now and for the rest of eternity because of what Christ has done. And so we should not hide any part of our message. And not because of fear of God, who will judge us if we keep something back, but out of love, out of love. We should love the message that we have so much that we tell others the whole counsel of God. We should love our God who saved us. And so we don't hide the message. We should love our God who has told us about salvation, and so we don't hide the message of God. And we should love people so much that we will warn them about their sin, despite our fears, warn them about the judgment to come, despite our fears, warn them about the fires of hell, and it's out of love for them that we do so. We love them and we want to see them overcome the sin in their life by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we love them. We want to see them have eternal life. And so we're not bigots and haters in this world as Christians. We're the great lovers of the world. 
We love people so much that we will overcome our fears so that we can see them and share in the salvation that we have. Our Father in heaven is the great lover of the world. He has been patient and long-suffering and he sent his son to die in our place and he calls all people to repent. He loves this world and so we, if we're to convey the whole message of God as Samuel did so many years ago, then we will preach such love to others as well. So do you hide anything in the word of God from others? Do you hide what the Bible has to say about sin, about certain sins? What it has to say about judgment? Well, the words of Eli there can apply to you. May the Lord deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide anything he told you. But do you hide the word of God from others because, not just because you don't fear the Lord, because you don't fear the Lord as you should, but because you do not love the message enough. You do not love your God enough. You do not love people enough to share with them the whole counsel of God, the whole will of God, including the eternal rewards that are to come. If you know there is a heaven and that it can be obtained by Jesus Christ and you see others around you who are not going there, won't you love them enough to tell them about that eternal life? May we take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but may we always be taking pleasure in the death of Christ and proclaiming that death to others so that they can too share with us in the eternal inheritance that we look forward to so desperately. Let's speak with our God now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you as a God who rages against sin, but a God who also loves sinners. We thank you for offering your Son in our place so that we could have eternal life. Lord, we ask, though, that you would forgive us for not speaking your message. Forgive us for hiding parts of your message. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to speak the whole will of God, the whole counsel of God, out of love for you and for others. And, Lord, we pray that as we proclaim your message of love, that you may save many. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.